So today we're joined by Brian Douglas to talk about Jamstack. Brian, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Long time listener, first time guest. <laughs> and uh, I am, I guess I'm Brian Douglas and uh, I go by B-Dougie on the internet. So if you look for me, B-Dougie on Twitter, developer in the Bay Area, specifically Oakland um, is where I like to say I'm from because it's quite different from San Francisco. Have you ever been out here? And uh, yeah, I work for a small startup called Netlify where we are pushing the jam or the jam stack and uh, host a podcast, uh, actually a couple podcasts and uh, try to code on a regular basis. Wait, a couple podcasts. I know about jam stack radio, but I don't know about yeah. the other one. Oh, the other one's super secret. So <laughs> I, I, hope it, uh, uh, I host a podcast called This Developing Story. So it's a play on This American Life, though it's not as heavily edited. Um, and I, I actually reached out to developers I look up to and um, ask them how they became a developer and what they do today. And uh, it's usually three questions, what they do today and advice for future developers or current developers. And uh, it's like a 30 minute podcast that I have on hiatus at the moment, which is probably why you haven't seen it. Um, so, but I have like 72 episodes that I've recorded. I'm gonna pick it up again in the fall. Who have your top three been your top three guests? Yeah, what are your top favorite episodes? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, so I interviewed a Pinterest engineer um, out of the fly. I met him at some event, and uh, he had a really interesting story. We worked at uh, eHarmony, and kind of how he—he's uh, also a person of color as well. He happens to be the same color as me, which is uh, African American. Uh, so it was interesting meeting someone my age and trying to find out how they got into programming and going to college, as opposed to me. Like my background is actually I learn online through tutorials and I did like a pseudo boot camp for 12 weeks. So that was my entry to tech, but I always find it fascinating when like I meet people of color who actually decided when they were in high school and college that they were going to learn how to code and that was okay with their family because it was okay with mine. <laughs> what do you mean when you say it wasn't okay? Yeah, um I took I got a finance degree in college. So I learned how to finance uh Party thinking time. that if I learned about money, I would yeah, I would, if I learned about money, I would actually be able to like hold on to money and make a lot of it. Um, and it was actually, it was a pretty much like when you come from a, like my mom went to college, she became a teacher, but she didn't make a lot of money and not having a lot of money. You want to make a lot of money to like prove your parents that you, you can be something. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I guess the, this is like a after school special. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, so I got a finance degree, but then decided I didn't want to do that at all. And then I found programming at the, the ripe age of 27 and made a career change. Awesome. What do you think the hardest part was about switching gears and, and getting started with programming? The hardest part, I quite honestly, it was, the hardest part is actually taking a chance. And like, the, everybody talks about imposter syndrome and uh, like whether or not you're ready or how do you know when you're ready to be a programmer? And for me, the hardest part was just like, just going and putting yourself out there. And once I figured out that once you put yourself out there and you reach out to people, most people are nice like you guys and will respond to your emails or will answer your questions if you have a question about getting in the field, as long as you're not annoying about it. And uh, that was, once I figured it out, that was kind of the hardest part. Um, but my, my trajectory into programming has been a little, it's, I don't want to say it's been, it's been easy, but I've kind of been in the right place at the right time since I decided to program. So like every job I've gotten, it's been through a connection 
I've never actually applied for a job. It's always been like a connection that I've had through the internet or like the company I work for today. I was actually a customer. So it made it a lot easier for them to reach out to me and say, hey, you should work for us. What was your experience in computing prior to that? Like, did you own a, did you own a laptop? Like, did you? Oh, I was super literate. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely had a laptop. So I've always dabbled with web development, I guess, like HTML, mm-hmm. CSS. Uh, yeah. I have a twin brother who's like, the, obviously he's the same age as me. So we grew up tinkering with computers or like our entire life. But it was never realistic to say, hey, mom, I'm going to go to college, but learn how to computer program as opposed to like, I'm going to finance and get a, a awesome job making money. Um, so at the time, like uh, I, I got to date myself, I'm 30 this year, I'll be 31 next month. So back in the time where like Web 2.0 was coming out in MySpace, MySpace was cool, but like it was, it was kind of hard to sell my, my family to kind of speed things up. So I was in college and I got a Mac computer because I heard they were cool for making music. Mm. Um, I decided to produce beats in my bedroom in college and create a singer songwriter project um, in the vein of Owl City, if you guys remember those days. Um, There's a lot of electronica, kind of like pseudo electronica happening to like pop beats. And uh, so I created a, a singer songwriting project, which I call it acoustic electronica because I played acoustic guitar to hip hop beats. And I would sing to that and play. And because of that, I had a Mac computer already. So by the time I finished college and had my job, I already I still had the same Mac computer. And I started Googling. Uh, I wanted to make an app eventually. Um, so after college, I ended up not getting a finance degree. Uh, I ended up getting a sales job, like an admin role, and then eventually getting promoted to sales and senior sales and all this other stuff. And decided that I hated my life. I didn't like my my sales job, so I decided to make an app. And I learned how to code, and I made it. What was the app? Uh, it was called Choich, so C H U Y C H, and it was a geolocation search for finding churches in your area. So if you wanted to find a church that like oh, like church choice, was, was that what you were going for? Uh, nah, uh, that would have been better. Oh, uh, I was just I was just more than like looking for a domain that was available. <laughs> And the word church, if you replace the R with the Y, was available. And I was like, oh, this is like, I wasn't expecting to make tons of money from it. I was just kind of wanted to learn how to code and hopefully build an app. And uh, so I just bought a domain that was available. But um, I think the tagline I had on the site, it's, I don't think it's still up. It might be in Heroku somewhere, but it was, we put the Y in church. (laughs) And that was, that was the, the I mean, it was true. It was truth in advertising. Yeah. Unfortunately, I did not advertise it. Well, actually, fortunately, I never advertised it. I moved on with my life. <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a fun project that I I built. I learned how to build Rails in, and that's kind of how I I moved in and progressed to get my first job in Rails, which was my first framework slash language. So this might dovetail into our topic, but what are you doing now at Netlify? Yeah, that's a good question. So I was hired at Netlify to write React code. I had dabbled with React at a previous job. And they needed someone to do front end more full time than their CEO at the time was like doing all the code. So I converted their Angular app to React last summer. And then quickly after I did that, I started doing some speaking and I started a podcast, which is Jamstack Radio, which is, I guess, the, the podcast you guys heard me on. And uh, yeah, so I've kind of like transitioned into more of like an evangelist advocate role um, full time. Though I do write code, uh, I, I would say like, of my day-to-day is like doing tutorials, doing a podcast, speaking at conferences and supporting my, my role as like 
developer relations and teaching people how to use Netlify is like my main my main function. And what is Netlify? That's I'm glad you asked. <laughs> um, so the marketing speak is like we're the Git Citrix solution for the modern developer. Um, so we're basically we host websites, and um, we host websites that are based on the Jamstack. So I guess I'll just jump right into Jamstacks like JavaScript APIs and markup. So any sites that are very front end focused that don't rely on hosting a server in tandem with your client. So if you think of like isomorphic JavaScript, where you have everything in one folder, you got your client, your React app sitting right next to a server.js or your Express app, that would also that would need like a running server, like a Heroku or like um, anything else that's out there that needs that can host an entire full bundle of your server and database together. Um, Netlify and the Jamstack, we believe that you should separate your concerns where your client gets hosted separately, super cheaply, and your server gets hosted elsewhere. And the focuses are gone completely different from front and the back end. That's what we're focused on. So we're like a, a workflow solution. So not only do we do hosting, but we also do integration with Git. Uh, we do like split testing based on branches. Uh, we do deploy previews. Those are really cool features. So as opposed to like trying to get your copy editor or your marketing employee to look at your code that you've changed for them 20 times. Uh, instead, you can just provide them with a very simple link that gets auto-deployed every time you push to GitHub, like on a branch. So if you have like newfeature.yoursite.com, uh, you can just hand it over to them. It's already been already started with CI. So Jamstack is essentially just a static page, right? It's uh, so static is like a, it's like the, uh, it's a dirty word. Cause static, when you say static, it's like, Oh, static, like HTML, CSS. It's like, it's nothing like React or it's nothing like Angular. But what we've noticed the trend, that's why kind of Netlify kind of built itself on top of the Jamstack is the trend is you have tools like Webpack and Browserify that are actually bundling dynamic JavaScript into static output. So at the end of the day, most apps are static. So we don't want to limit us to the word static where we limit ourselves to like the word Jamstack, which is dynamically rendered JavaScript that could be compiled down to static. So... I guess the you're sorry to interrupt, but your to answer your question, yes, it is a static page, but it's more than just that. So where did the idea of Jamstack come from? Was it from your company or? Yeah, it prior to Netlify, the uh, our CEO Matt Billman, he was I guess hanging out with a friend, and he had the idea of building this this side project that he built on a weekend called Bitballoon, which is a static host. Uh, and then when they built uh, planning for Bitballoon, he had figured out that all these build tools that are doing like all this crazy stuff and then compiling on the static, uh, kind of open up the door to do a lot of different things and also make sure your hosting is super cheap. Um, he started asking friends and he, I think he didn't actually coin the term. I forget the guy he was sitting with. I'm not even sure if he's famous. I don't even remember his name though. Uh, but if you go to episode two of Jamstack radio, he actually explains the entire origin story, but essentially they came up with the name. They're trying to come up with the name of what this idea of static is, but not static. So there's like a term like new dynamic, it's like render dynamic. I know serverless gets kind of in intertwined into the Jamstack, though it's kind of its own separate beast. Um, but it, it fits really nicely when you abstract the idea of servers away from the jam. So that way you can host your client. And the, the beauty of that is that you can host it like an S3 for like pennies a month or with Netlify for free per month. I was sold on static sites uh, when we started this podcast, actually. Justin set us up with uh, Middleman to make our, our our content. And when we have a new episode, we just make a pull request with a markdown file. And uh, I love it because it's like Git and, and GitHub is our database. Uh, and I think that just works 
so much better for yeah. content than a relational database does. Yeah. And what's funny is that I actually used, uh, I've been, you can tell how long I've been listening. I actually used your, your code as a basis uh, for my blog because I, I never used middleman until someone told me about it. And then I saw that you guys were using it for mm-hmm. Turing.cool. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I need to figure this out. Like, how are they doing all this stuff without an entire SQL server to host all their data? And mind you, I was pretty, uh, I was more newer to programming. So I was pretty naive about everything in programming. So when I found that you guys were using Middleman, I actually based my my blog and the future blog podcast um, sites off of just static, statically generated sites, um, which is amazing because why, why should you have a database to host a bunch of links? Yeah, I just wish, you know, more content creators and more people that weren't developers, you know, understood Git because I think it's just a great tool for storing text. Mm-hmm. Versus passing around, you know, Word document underscore final underscore final final. <laughs> yeah. Um, part of our, our big push with Netlify as well is, um, I don't know if you guys at a time, like if you were researching me beforehand, if you saw the Netlify CMS, if that's come up at all. Um, but it's a project we're trying to push for non-technical users, but also people who don't want to get knees dirty in like SQL databases or PHP servers um, just to host like marketing content. Uh, it's perfect. We're trying to basically what we're trying to do is compete with WordPress because uh, mm. WordPress is almost a gold standard for marketing sites. Yeah. Um, but with the Netlify CMS, it hooks up to all static site generators as long as they're flat files. So either HTML or Markdown. Um, we're able to hook up a CMS to be able to update content live um, and push it to production through Git because the CMS also uses GitHub as a backend. Nice. What's the CMS written in? Uh, CMS is built on React and Redux. So you are literally adding a React app to your middleman site or Jekyll site. Um, and if you're using proper modern, actually the way we ask you to set it up, um, we're not asking you to load the React app every time someone visits your site. But whenever you go to like slash CMS or slash admin, then we'll we'll fire up the React app separately. So it's like some sort of creative uh, routing that we do. So you save you save something in the CMS and it actually just makes a commit in GitHub. Exactly. So it it goes straight. You could you have two choices. You can go straight to production. So imagine like a small marketing site that needs like a, the word changed or changes some blue. To, well, I guess mainly mainly copy. We're not really doing too much uh, editing of the site through the CMS at the moment. But um, at least we haven't exposed that to anybody. And uh, we we could also make the option of open up a pull request. So imagine if there's like a, a change that needs to go live, but there needs to reviews on it beforehand or copy editing. Uh, it could open a, a GitHub pull request. And I say GitHub because I mean GitHub, though Netlify works with Bitbucket and GitLab. At the moment, the CMS only works with GitHub because their API is the best to work with at the moment. So if you're listening, GitLab or Bitbucket people, uh, improve your API. Or we have open issues and pull requests on those for at least Git, GitLab. So if anybody is a GitLab fan and wants to help that PR along. The bucket has the best API, man. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, yeah um, <laughs> I guess if you're really a big fan of the last and sweet, I guess you can force it to work. But no, it seems just, like the, it's, yeah. I'm, I'm being sarcastic. Oh, yeah, I got that. <laughs> so how do you deal with more full-featured apps? Uh, we leverage tools, like third-party tools, like Auth0 for authentication. Um, we also have like a, our own authentication that we're building from the ground up called GoTrue. It's just Auth0, but more lighter and built in Go. And um, that, you can leverage that for authentication. Um, you could also leverage like Discuss for comments or... 
Algolia for search because like uh, we've written our own search algorithm and make it work. Um, but hands down, like using someone else's code and outsourcing that complexity to something else um, almost wins every time unless you really have like the engineering talent to really check this box and really scratch that itch. Yeah, I think that's pretty much how outsourcing complexity is really trying to get more feature heavy and features inside of site. Um, a lot of people think of like static site generators as like blogs and like that, that sort of architecture. Um, but once you get outside of that box, it actually gets really interesting. Like we're big fans of Hugo um, as a static site generator because it's pretty flexible and it's also really fast. So you can really push it to its limits. And uh, so like our netlify.com, though it does fit a blog space where we have like markdown files that look like blog posts, um, we're doing some other creative things. Like there are, if you go to like netlify.com slash slide of the week, we have this really cool thing that we're using the CMS and you can actually do like a question answer form. Um, and actually you can input that in the CMS and be able to do that and align that with like also uploaded images as well. So it's a, I'll probably write a blog post about that pretty soon. Cause I think we do, I'm trying to kind of get more ideas outside of just blogs. So hopefully, uh, I'll have that soon. So did you also like survey what a bunch of different static site repos are doing and then build those features in it? I would say, uh, I don't know if we personally, I don't know if we actually surveyed them. I've only been working for Netlify for a year and a couple months. And I do say, I will say that. So one of our, the guy who made Jekyll was one of our earliest advisor for Netlify as well as middleman. And, uh, I think that's about it. So like, we're pretty in tune with static site generators as a whole. That's kind of like where we kind of build our initial market around. Um, so there was like, and we're also, we, we've hired a lot of our customers. So a lot of the team, our customers, our previous customers, our current customers, rather, I think everybody doesn't switch off Netlify when you start working for Netlify, but um, everybody has ideas and everybody has their favorite static site generator. So we personally have tried to push features for particular static site generators. Um, but we also like most of the contributors and maintainers of these projects also are pretty accessible to ask questions and see about what sort of ideas are out there and to make sure that the, the, the CMS or just generally Netlify works with these static site generators out of the box. What would be something that's difficult? I mean, because static site generators just, you know, output markdown or just, just output HTML. So what, what could be a hangup where they wouldn't work? Um, I wouldn't say it won't work, but I think the, some challenges like relational data, um, trying to rethink yourself outside the SQL like joins idea and try to be more creative about like joining data through JSON rather. Uh, I think one of the things I use a lot is GraphQL. So, um, Gatsby, I haven't used Gatsby's implementation. So Gatsby is like the react static site generator. It's not the, it's like one of two ones that I know of. Um, but it's one that I know and that we know Kyle Matthews, um, he's out here in the Bay area. So we see him a lot or I see him a lot rather. I know I keep saying we, um, there's no one else here with me, but, um, yeah. So he uses a GraphQL implementation where you can just like basically take your markdown and output that to JSON and then be able to get relational data through GraphQL. Um, but I personally, every site that I've made so far, and I, I mean, I haven't really scratched every itch or tried to push it to the limits. Um, it's there's no reason I couldn't use it as a, a database. It's also not limited to like, there's no reason why you can't have a, your own SQL or Postgres or Mongo or even like Firebase instance where you hold your data there. And this basically just do JavaScript rest calls to consume data and output that through your static site generator. 
So there's there's no limit uh, to do that. There's like Jekyll and, and Middleman. I know have very strong communities for plugins, and I know Hugo is only just growing. Um, so there's usually a use case out there of someone figuring it out. Or most people, since all static site generators that I know of um, that I use are open source, most people are super, are available to answer questions if I hit a corner case that doesn't have a solution for it yet, which I haven't hit yet. One point that I heard you mention on Jamstack Radio was, uh, or maybe it was one of your guests, but I like the idea that you know with with static content uh that your content and your code lives in the same repo so if we wanted to see like our podcast site exactly how it was in like january 2014 you know we can just check out that commit and get the content and the code that made it uh and get that exact replica which is something that's hard to reproduce with or storing data in relational databases yeah it's because you're doing it wrong you have mutation <laughs> on your data you should use the atomic sorry <laughs> Um, so what if we wanted to move our site to the stack? Like what would be the workflow for that? Um, yeah, so I, I taking two assumptions. So like one, if your assumption you're on a like isomorphic app, whether it be Rails or Elixir or whatever, um, my approach and the approach I was doing before even I started using Netlify um, was always, I used to use Rails a lot and I would render everything to JSON because um, I liked the way modern JavaScript front end frameworks were doing it. Um, but it's always a pain to switch. Uh, well, I went through the pain of switching from Angular to the React. Um, it's much easier when you render the JSON and you have a separate application that consumes that JSON. So being able to build yourself an API, if you do have a, a larger app that talks to a database, whether it be C Sharp, Rails, whatever, um, rendering the JSON is probably the easiest because then you could build a Jamstack site on top of your, your API. Um, but if you're like on a WordPress, there is, I know WordPress has an, an, a WordPress API I've never used. I've only heard about. Um, that's also a solution. There's also a cool tool called Shifter, which will take your, your dynamic WordPress site and it will actually bundle it static for you. So if you think of like uh, Webpack for WordPress, uh, that's what these guys are doing. And it's actually, it's really interesting. I've only, I'm not a WordPress user, so I've only tested it on junk sites, um, but it works. So and I'm, I'm pretty amazed at what they're doing. When would you advise somebody not to use Jamstack? That is a great question. And it might be my naivete of me just being excited and being uh, an advocate for the stack. I don't think there is a point where I would say don't use Jamstack because I, I personally think the web's moving towards this. So if you look at like Twitter who just released their, their um, Twitter light or whatever, like that's an entire application that's built with all client-side focus rendering. Um, there's, they announced that there's no uh, no server side rendering. They've kind of just dropped that as a, a concern. And like Facebook itself doesn't do server side rendering as well. They do more creative things that are pushing the web forward to worry about like whether or not you need a server code. Now both those companies both have servers, but they are they're just taking the approach slightly different. So I think the web is this moving. I think server side rendering it's it basically solved a problem that we needed a couple years ago. But I think going forward, the future is like serverless side <laughs> rendering and uh, being able to do things on demand through Lambda Function. I know, Pam, you're in that space. I know you just did like a, a talk that I watched uh, not too long ago oh, about the serverless revolution. Mm -hmm. uh, awesome talk. I'm also very, very pro serverless as well. Like try to get your, your rendering outside servers and more on demand. Yeah, I think if... Anything I kind of wonder about the Jamstack is like when I asked uh, Len what 
the Jamstack stood for, I said, well, isn't that just how we're supposed to do things now? It kind of seems... What do you what do you think about the kind of the the acronymification, or is it useful? Is it does it help to kind of like advocate for this architecture versus other architectures? Uh, it helps for us personally because when people come to Netlify and they're like, "Hey, can I host my WordPress site on Netlify?" Um, we would then, or can I host my my app on Netlify? Whether or not they say WordPress or not or JavaScript. We didn't have to go through like 20 questions like, okay, how are you building it? Are you using a, mm, a build tool? Yeah. Is it being bundled static output? Uh, so you go through that 20 questions. So it's much easier to say, is your site Jamstack? And whether or not they know what Jamstack is, we have jamstack.org that they can go straight to and be like, okay, Does here's my this, checklist. Yeah, Throw basically, yeah. You put the checklist on another site. So that's it, it works for us. And that's why we're really like, we're, we're totally pro it. We love pushing it. That's why I do a podcast to kind of push the term. Now... It, it also helps too because like you mentioned before like this is like we're, we're already supposed to be doing this uh but the problem is not everybody's talking about this like i talked to i actually mentor boot camp students i also speak at boot camps because i came through like the job the career change realm mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm very empathetic to paying it forward uh, but i can tell you right now that like boot camps even like hack reactor they don't know what a static site generator is they don't know the difference between jamstack and isomorphic do you think it's because they learn Rails or ORM systems? Yeah, they're learning the easiest way first. So they're getting, when it comes time to like get their second job, when they're like, oh, hey, tell me about this JavaScript or how do you get this in a script tag? Or they're like, I don't, I just NPM everything. And it's it's hard to break that down for them. Um, so trying to re-educate, um, not even re-educate, just make more awareness that, that this is a term, whether you call it Jamstack or you call it something else. Like this is... A different way of approaching an app as opposed to like i i know when i hit npm start my app shows up so how do i host that with you guys and that's a that's a longer 20 questions as opposed to like are you jamstack i mean you really just mean don't render html on servers right yeah no no running server <laughs> but you don't want to talk about things you're not doing when you're marketing something yeah yeah so we can't say like we get the question all the time like server-side rendering um i'm I know there's a popular framework that now is rendering static, but before it was called Next. So um, Zite, they they made it and it got really popular at React Conf. Um, a lot of people came to us and like, hey, how do I host this with you guys? Uh, it's server-side rendered. And we're like, ah, oh, you can't really do that with us. But if you actually use your npm run build command, hmm. uh, we can host that output. So whatever comes after npm run build, we, we host that folder. So how does it deal with dynamic data. So let's say you have some type of portal that requires logging in and I log in and you log in. How does it show personalized data? Yeah, that's a good question. So I just did a, um, so we just announced like uh, our new update to pricing. Uh, but in addition to that, we also announced new features and there's this new feature called role space access. So I recorded a video and a little project. I hopefully I'll do a more, a longer tutorial on, uh, but I use off zero to log in. So that way you have a, a unique JSON web token. And then based on that web token, it will give you access to specific routes. So this is a Netlify feature that I'm pretty sure you can also do in Firebase as well in their hosting solution. And it's all on the CDN level. So based on that JWT, do you have access to slash financials or slash user admin or whatever? Um, so it's JWTs is kind of where it's at um, to get that done on a client side. And usually there's no, yeah, we haven't really had an issue on that. 
And we do the same sort of structure on like netlify.com. So when you log in, you have access to your own data. And that's the same way you would do it like in a React app. It just happens to be on a static site. You just have to do more, um, I guess it's a little, it's not as elegant as if you were doing like an, a React or Angular router. So it's smart enough to say like slash finance render Dougie's data versus Pam's data. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And we have a feature. So it's called our, I don't know, I guess we just call it redirects. Um, I don't know if we have like a, well, we don't have a, a fancy name for it, but you can add a redirects file into your public folder. And based on those redirects, you can do cool things like render different 404 pages based on different errors. You can also re you can do 301 redirects. So imagine if like podcast episode number 72, you decided to change the name to something else. You can redirect that on the CDN level to never show the old name, but show the the new name, which is I've done this before, which is like I'll spell something wrong and not catch it until like a week later when someone's like tweeting me and saying, oh, you spelled this word wrong. So then I can't go back and delete it because now it's all on the internet and SEO and stuff like that. So I just do a redirect to the proper spelled name. Does Netlify have any like quick start things? So I'm going to plug one of your competitors possibly. <laughs> but uh, I think one of the things that was a game changer for me and seeing the light about Jamstack was search. So I could like create React app new, uh, make a new app and then NPM run build and just type surge and I have a website on the internet in like literally seconds. And, uh, yeah, that, that was just like, just the possibilities of that just like made my eyes sparkle. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, I wrote a blog post very similar to that. Um, I guess around that when create react app first came out, like deploy your react app in 30 seconds. So Netlify, we don't talk about it enough. Um, but I, I guess we felt like more of our, I guess, quote unquote competitors. Uh, and I'll talk about those quotes in a sec. Um, they're really focused on the CLI and the development experience on the command line. And we went very much heavy on the uh, GUI as opposed to that in the web interface. Uh, but we do have a CLI and based on that 30 seconds, like that, that blog post we do use, I do use the CLI to do the same thing. Um, I, I, I have a hard time like saying like competitors, uh, because I feel like, like, so like Zite, which has now that's very much about static deployments as well. And then surge, they're all really growing the space. So there's a term that somebody said, which is like all boats are, uh, sorry, the rising tide raises all boats. So as more and more people move towards progressive web app and serverless and Jamstack, it's only just helping us because there's more people to use us and we have more healthier competition. So um, I, I've used Surge, I'm a big, big fan and I'm a big fan of Zite and Now as well. So definitely worth checking those two out as well. Yeah, that makes sense. I learned, you know, I got excited about the stack because of Surge, but if I wanted to push, you know, a marketing team to use a CMS that was based on Zadic sites, I would, I would probably push them towards Netlify. Yeah, and part of my role at Netlify too is also building these tutorials. So like we're, like I was like number five in the poi or in like the poi numbers, and I think we're at twenty now. So now we have more bandwidth to focus on more things. So I am hopefully going to have somewhere, uh, probably not by the time this podcast comes out, but I'm going to have. Uh, a new tutorial where you build a restaurant. Um, you can actually ch check it out right now at tasty.netlify.com. And it's a restaurant built all in the Jamstack. So it's a statically generated Hugo site that has a menu. Um, I guess the pitch I give whenever I, I, I pitch this at boot camps to kind of get boot camp students to think about outside the isomorphic Rails apps. Um, there's a there's a 
a restaurant out here in the Bay Area called Slanted Door, and they have a re- uh, a menu that changes every single day. And I had a friend that made this app for them, like on a contract just for fun. And they built on the rails with the CMS, and they would change it every day. But they was so it was problematic because they had to um, every time, like in a restaurant, everything's always on fire, like literally. So they always got phone calls in the middle of the night, like to fix this or change that or change something else that wasn't touching the CMS. And it got really annoying for them. And he told me that, about the story. And then like speed up a year later, I'm working for Netlify. I'm like, oh, let me build this app using just Jamstack technology. So this is an app that hopefully I'll have a tutorial on Netlify.com soon about like the process of building this. But for now, you can actually just see the code if you go to github.com slash bduggy slash Hugo restaurant template. But you probably just follow me on Twitter and I'll tweet it out when it's actually done. So I, I kind of wanted to ask a, a not Netlify question and ask something okay, that, cool. well, it could be the end of you, but what's something that you've learned lately? So I actually, I'm always learning. So it's kind of hard to kind of pinpoint that. I Very recently, I kind of toyed into Elm. Hmm. Um, actually, this had the Elm guy on my podcast. Which um, Elm guy? Well, the Elm guy. I guess everybody Rich. knows who that is, but okay. Richard Feldman. <laughs> The guy yeah, who wrote the book. But he's not one of the Elm writers. And, uh, he's just so I had really him on my podcast. So, Or does he contribute to Elm now? Uh, he does contribute to Elm Test and Elm CSS. Yeah. So, But I don't think he contributes to Elm yeah, proper. The... Though he does work with the guy who made oh, Elm. Who, oh, so they left Prezi, that person? Yeah, yeah. They, um, yeah, he left Prezi and joined No Red Ink. Mm-hmm. And uh, so now he's here in SF working for No Red Ink, which is like... I think at this point they're like ninety percent Elm oh, yeah. on the front end, mm-hmm. and I thought they were making something for Elm on the back end, but I don't remember. I might just I might have dreamed that, mm-hmm. but uh, that'd be the most recent. Well, that's not even the most recent. Um, I'm very very into GraphQL at the moment. I'm trying to get GraphQL at work working. Um, we just happen to have like a a weird setup where we have Rails and Mongo, and then oh. a lot of Go services, so. The built-in Ruby gem for GraphQL doesn't work with us, so it's I'm at a, like a fork in the road on whether I need to contribute to the existing gem, create our own Ruby Mongo GraphQL implementation, or do what I'm actually actively doing, which is build a REST wrapper to take in that JSON API and then output GraphQL, which is not ideal because it's slower, but uh, it's so I can scratch an itch and check a box. I don't think I'm not even sure if they they want GraphQL at work. You're but making I'm, it happen. I'm very much a fan of it, so I'm just like trying. Yeah, I'm just like kind of like, hey, by the way, this already works. We should use it. I'm trying to do that as opposed to like, hey, let's go jump your hoops and like get approvals and like make sure people care about this. Like I'm just gonna make. Yeah, code I'm for also the a GraphQL fan. I think it's interesting. It's also that it's not. I feel like it's not actually that daunting because it's describing a new interface not a new full thing does that make sense or do you i don't know if you disagree but i think that graphql describes an interface which is a way of interacting with an api whereas like you can implement a very bad graphql api very easily uh if you want yeah Um, yeah but the you know it describes an interface which then you can try and make more efficient yeah, it was very much in the same vein of like when Flux came out for React, where it was more of a spec 
and they're like, Hey, we thought of this idea. Now go make your own projects work with this. Yeah. And then we had like 130 different flux implementations. Yeah. Um, GraphQL is not as bad because it's no, more it's of really like a clearly bad. thought out. Yeah. Spec. And I think they provided more, like I, I have a maintain a, a node GraphQL and we use the libraries for that. And it's very straightforward. Which client do you all use? Do you use uh, Apollo or Relay? I am an Apollo fan. Um, mainly because at the time I was getting the GraphQL, Apollo is more, it more feature heavy and you could actually do a little more outside of react. I haven't used relay modern yet, so I don't really have, like, I haven't used it in an actual app, so I don't have like a strong opinion about it, but it looks pretty nice. I was going to ask, um, I don't, I guess I don't know everybody's background or where they work, but is anybody using like a static site generated app in work at all? I do. Which one? We have a... Redux React app that's hosted on S3 that talks to our GraphQL API, which interfaces with various other services that we talk to. Cool. And how's that experience? It's really great. I mean, I think the only thing I kind of, that we're kind of aware of, but it doesn't really change, is that uh, the... GraphQL, the GraphQL development ends up being very tied to the front-end development, yeah. uh, which feels like it could be bad, but maybe it's not. Um, and that the, the GraphQL schema being additive, so it just gets bigger. So, which is, if, that's probably the yeah. biggest weakness, I think, in GraphQL is just that there's no such thing as like we had a when we started the graph copy we started like a you know we opened an issue being like how are we going to version this and then we read more about it and we we're like oh you you don't <laughs> you just yeah you just never delete anything <laughs> and that's your plan a it seems yeah, like a weird uh, plan a but that pretty that's like it, it is weird i get a lot of like that's like oh, i'm sorry. not wrong right like that's what people say no, I, I get that question all the time. I'm doing, I did a couple of meetup talks about GraphQL and that's a question that comes up a lot about versioning and maintaining this in the long term. And I'm like, well, Facebook's only been using it for a couple of years. So they're long term's a couple of years. So yeah. I guess you just have to rely on Facebook not to mess things up or to continue down the path of this, adding everything to your GraphQL endpoint. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to see what people are going to be doing about like, well, they've done like batch querying, so to be able to make things more optimized and speed performant. Mm-hmm. I've yet to do anything like that. Yeah, we haven't so done that I haven't yet. Got that far yet. Mm-hmm. But and I haven't really like looked at performance based on GraphQL and REST and see if it really matters or not. But the experience is great. Yeah. Yeah, I've never seen versioned APIs actually be rolled out and not just be a little bit of a cluster and behind the scenes. It never works out as well as you think it's going to work. Uh, I've been at two companies that we talked about doing version two of the API, <laughs> um, but that we only talked about it. And then you realize how bad it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Do you rewrite all the controllers and then just like inherit from the other version of the controller and, or, or just what kind of hell do you make for yourself? <laughs> yeah. I think the approach we got to at my last job was like rename things to legacy and then rename the new things into whatever the original name was. But <laughs> again, like we didn't even get that far. We kind of just like pretend like we never talked about it and just moved on. Maybe that should be another yeah, nice episode approach. or a episode topic: <laughs> versioning APIs. API versioning. I don't know. I don't know if I can get that into that. 
What kind of expert would you call for versioning APIs? We could use an episode on like developer myths and like version APIs actually working could be one of them. Lies that people tell you. <laughs> Another one is uh, enterprise support. Big myths. Ah, uh, enterprise. I thought it's just that if you pay us enough money, we'll say that we'll give you better support. And then when we fail to deliver good support, we say that you need to That's pay us more money. Exactly how it works. Or you're not on the right version, or your OS is out of date. Mm-hmm. Well, we can't look at it until you've eliminated all these other possibilities that are completely unrelated to the issue that you're having. So, Brian, have you seen anti-patterns with uh, static sites and Jamstack? Um, anti-patterns. Uh, I We probably have a ton of them in our repo, for sure. Um, I think over, like... I guess over-engineering things is definitely something that happens a lot. I think that was like some slack that some of the newer static site generators, like there's like Nuxt and Gatsby is one I mentioned as well, that are doing a lot of forward-thinking things that that do a lot of like, like I use the term witchcraft. I'm not sure if that's uh, derogatory of people will get offended with that, but you can edit that out if that is offens- offensive. But um, a lot of like uh, magic in the back of the scenes. So like one thing that we've done for Netlify.com that I am not proud of, that I'm hopefully gonna fix soon, is our search. Um, we're using like this really huge gulp task to basically index our entire site into like a page index.json. And then we're doing search based on that. And I'm pretty sure we could do a better way, but it was very much like a lot of like hacking and cowboy coding to make that work. And uh, I think in static site generators, in that whole, the whole realm, uh, there's a lot of like undiscovered territory or things that work one way, but since static site generators have its own like framework language, uh, sometimes people will do a lot of real interesting things. But I like it because it pushes, it fuels development and gives you like a hard problem as opposed to like, let me install this gem or this node package to solve my problem. When's the book coming? Uh, the Jamstack book? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great question. Uh, I guess uh, I know deadlines, but I, I don't know if that was a joke, but it's funny because we were just talking about this yesterday internally. Um, we're actually going to be doing a Jamstack book, so it'll be more detailed and more examples. So it is a thing that's going to happen. Yeah, it's uh, I guess uh, I guess announced here. No deadline and no confirmation, but it might or may or not be happening. Maybe I said too much. <laughs> I guess we'll find out. <laughs> yeah, it's hard when you like... Well, we all write code, so like it's hard when you like you accidentally say deadlines, and your boss is like, "Oh, when's that going to be done?" And you're like, "Oh, tomorrow," and then you're like, "Oh no, I need three weeks." So, does anyone have any more questions about Jamstack? I think that I I have a question. How can people get in touch with you, Brian, and give you money and support your work, um, or pay attention to I, you, or whatever you want? So, I am. You can get in touch with me at on Twitter. I'm bwgio on Twitter. Um, I am also a sort of available on GitHub if you happen to follow or star one of my projects. Um, so I'm bduggy, just bduggy proper on GitHub, which I know is confusing because on Twitter, the bduggy on Twitter always gets my tweets, mm-hmm. and he always like retweets and like points it to me. I think it's kind of funny for him now. <laughs> oh, that's um, really nice. Like, well, I think it's funny for him. Uh, well, I mean, you it's nice that they Twitter. point it to you versus like. Yeah. You know, I know the yeah. I know the person who's at Chelsea, and she always suffers whenever the football club does well or badly. Oh, nice! I would I would definitely play with that. I've never right. been on the receiving end of wrong <laughs> tweets, 
but I, it's it's hard when you have two first names to be, be plays about Xbox and your, your Twitter handle. Mm. He's a he's a real gamer. Yeah, he's a gamer in St. Louis. Does Brian Douglas also play Xbox and PlayStation? Uh, I have an Xbox. I All haven't right, played it since there. I had a kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wife wife moves too fast. One day though, one day when Netlify sells and I can retire on some beach or something, which I'm not sure. I don't like the beach, so that was a bad example. And I mean, I retire and move to the suburbs. Also, the salt water is bad for the Xbox. That is true. So, and I'm pretty sure if it's still plugged in, it might not be good for it. Probably. Um, but in, you could also find me, Jamstack Radio is a podcast I do. Uh, I'm a big fan of, and um, you should be a fan and subscribe with our hundreds of listeners. Um, actually, I have no idea how many listeners we have. I should probably check that. But um, we talk about this Jamstack technology, but also we touch about serverless and front-end stuff and it's basically a front-end podcast really at the end of the day it's anybody that doesn't want to write back in code should mm-hmm. listen to it awesome well thank you brian for coming on and uh you can follow us on twitter at turing cool show notes are at turing.cool and i'll talk to y'all in two weeks bye, bye.